If you would, take your Bibles, please. Turn to Philippians 4. Next week, we are going to pick up our series on spiritual gifts. But having this opportunity and thinking about what it is to start the year, all of you knowing how I feel about New Year's resolutions, and um, I wanted to make sure that we start this year off right. I think it's been a, a pressing burden on us uh, as a staff here about the importance of prayer. We talk about it a lot. We talk about it a lot in every one of our meetings. We've been having discussions to talk about how can we encourage greater opportunities of prayer in the church. If you're familiar with God's Word, you know that only two things get the job done. The Word and prayer. The Word and prayer. That's it. It's so simple we go right past it a lot of times. But it's the Word that does the work through the Holy Spirit. It's prayer that moves in the hand of God. Those are two indispensable elements. And I want us to get this year started right. If you would, take this out of your handout, please, your bulletin. Just a little notes page. I just want, want to give you something really good to focus on. Um, we, we, of course, we pray for people. We pray for physical ailments, and all those things are very important. We pray for people who are going through trying times, as we should. We pray for grief and suffering and sickness, as we should, absolutely. We should also be praying for spiritual issues. And if we had to be honest, the New Testament leans more heavily in that area than it does on physical issues. If we had to be honest over the past two years, we're either really optimistic for 2022 to be better, or we're really, really bummed, to say it gently, that we might end up getting some of the same old, same old. And I don't know about you, but regardless of what I'm being told or fed, in a public forum, God has not changed. His ways have not changed. And what I want to do today is, is, and I felt really impressed upon by the Holy Spirit a lot recently in order to deal with this text. I just couldn't find the right time to do it and having peace to do so. In Philippians 4, we find probably one of the most common passages that people refer to, go back to over and over again. But when we end up getting into the situation where life is actually happening in front of us, for some reason we forget it, or we dispel it. And I'm going to ask today that we would have either a renewed conviction or asking for divine help that we not make that mistake. Let's read through these verses. Let's talk a little bit about the issue at hand. Let's talk about what it entails as far as what God has to say about it. And then let's talk about how does God give us, I mean, hand it to us, how we handle life? Raise your hand if life is hard sometimes. Okay, just want to make sure I'm, I'm out where you're at, okay? I want to make sure that you can smell what I'm stepping in. Here we go. Chapter 4, verse 4. I got your attention. Yeah, the farmer laughs. That's good. And his wife rolls her eyes, I'm sure. All right. And real quick, here's the context. Paul is writing to this church, it is a very giving church, very generous church. They're a very selfless church. But they also got two ladies who are doing ministry for the Lord who aren't exactly getting along and clicking together. And so he kind of deals with that and says, you know, as a body, encourage them to get along, encourage them to get together. Stop letting them be passive aggressive and deal with their stuff and come to the truth. And anytime that happens, it should be with humility on both sides. And then out of nowhere, he comes with this idea. Look what he says, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. How long? How often? How many times? Always. 
Now, I'm going I'm to pause and ask you some questions. I promise you, all the answers are going to be straight out of the text, okay? So if you follow me, you're not going to have a problem. No Fs today. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say what? Rejoice. Is that now? Always. Is that you now? See, that's a different question. See, here's what we do. Here's what God tells me to do. And I believe that God's word is true. Here's what I'm doing. Yes. God, yes, I need more of this. I need more of that. That's really great. Wow, that's awesome. And when we find when life is carrying us away in a certain direction, we're not where God's word is. And that creates a dissonance, a friction, a a fragmentation of what God could be doing in our lives, and he's just not right now. Is it because you don't love me? Is it because I'm unworthy? That's what we do, right? The self-pity begins to heap on. No. It's a simple fact that our minds have got to be retrained by the Word of God because our emotions, our circumstances, our world is constantly shoving us in a direction that is away. From scripture rejoice in the lord always again i will say rejoice let your gentle spirit let your reasonableness your attitude in relation to god i mean if you're rejoicing people are going to take notice if you're rejoicing always they're going to really take notice and kind of think something's wrong with you right and that's where you want the world you want the world thinking that something is really really wrong with you that's right because if the reason why they think you're wrong is for rejoicing you are in the right so when they want to ask and when they want to inquire about why you're weird you want to be able to let them know with reasonableness and gentleness no you guys know i don't do much social media but i get on twitter Christians are more concerned about beating other people than they are about loving other people. They're more concerned about tearing down. And I'm not going to say building up, not in a worldly way, but they're more concerned with tearing down than shining a light. We are not people of darkness. We're not. We're more pepper than we are salt sometimes. What in the world is going on with that? Notice that Paul gives a really good directive here. Rejoicing. Let your reasonable spirit be known to everyone. Why does he do that? Look at the trigger here. The Lord is near. Is the Lord near? You know what? He's nearer than when this was written. Is he near always? Interesting. See, here's what we're going to find. Is the failure of receiving God's word and practicing God's word has got one big stamp over the top of it. Unbelief. Unbelief is the problem. It's always the problem. I don't really believe that God is here. I don't really believe that he's omnipresent. Would those things come out of our mouth if we really did? You know how the situation is. As a kid, you were saying something, your parents walked in the room. You know? You ever been doing something and you realize you should look up at that moment because your kid's doing something dumb? Right? Trying to get away with something? I don't remember what I was doing this past week. I was doing something over here. And I went like this. And then you went. I said, what are you doing? He's like, nothing. I was like, And then you don't know what it is, so you can't say anything, right? You weren't quick enough. Sometimes we're like that with God, because he's always there. He's always present. None of his attributes diminish in any way. Well, now that I've closed the door, he can't see. Not at all. He's always near. But here's where it hits. Let's read 6, 7, and 8, and let's talk a little bit. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard our hearts or your hearts 
and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. My hope is that by the time December 31st rolls around of this year, that our church is on fire for prayer, for desiring to seek God's face at every instance, with every gathering, with every time, when somebody stops and you say, hey, how are you doing? And they share that prayer request that the flesh in you was like, man, I didn't really want to know. I just wanted them to say fine and move on. I got to get my coat and get out of here. The Packers are getting ready to play. And we've got other things in this world that we're caring more about than our brother and sister who's in desperate need to actually hear what they're going through and try to sympathize with them. I want to take that time and stop. I don't want to sit down and say, yeah, I'll pray, I'll, I'll pray for you. Grab their hand, right? That's what we do, pray for you. No, grab their hand and pray for them right there. Right then. And that's okay to do. There's nothing wrong with that. There's everything right with that. There's everything right with interceding for somebody who is struggling in that moment before both of yours, Heavenly Father. There's nothing wrong with that at all. One of the greatest problems that plagues our society and the church is anxiety. For some people, it's absolutely crippling. For some people, it makes them feel like they can't even breathe. For some people, it's triggered only when they're in large crowds. For some people, it's when they're alone with their thoughts. For some people, it's, all, it's, it's an anticipation of something that might be. The problem with that is it's not something that necessarily is true, but because there's some percentage of potential of it being true, that becomes an obsessing point. Just to share with you some things about some statistics that I found. And I think this is really interesting because when, when you look on Google. Google's always got interesting information somewhere, and you've got to filter it through the Bible, a Christian worldview. But this is from, uh, these statistics that I have are from a, uh, an, a website called the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. And I think it's really interesting because anxiety is always the cousin of depression. Always and every time. Well, if Christians were really saved, they wouldn't be depressed. Don't ever let anybody ever tell you that. David was depressed often. The Psalms are seething with emotion, okay? They're brimming over the top. And so don't ever let anyone think that you're less of a Christian, that you have less of a relationship or less of an acceptance in Jesus Christ because you may struggle with some of these things. The difference is, is how does a Christian handle those things? They're all part of a fallen condition. They're all part of a fallen condition. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus himself crying out to the Father, Lord, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Sounds like revival. It's good. Here's some facts on anxiety that I found. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults in the United States. United States. Look at this. Age 18 and older, or 18.1% of the population every year, 40 million. And they're just gauging that as really getting ramped up at 18. What happens in people's lives at the age of 18? Yes, they can buy cigarettes. That's the problem. No. <laughs> they started voting. That might be part of the problem, right? They're adults. Everything. Life really sets in. Did any of you ever have that moment when you moved out, you had your first apartment by yourself, and you thought, oh my gosh, it just got real. Life just happened, and now I'm in the thick of it, and I can't go back, and uh, how am I going to wash my clothes? <laughs> you know, That was my bro. But seriously, yeah. 
40 million. 40 million people. How about the next one? Some different categories that they gave. Generalized anxiety disorder. It affects 6.8 million adults or 3.1% of the U.S. population, yet only 43.2% are receiving treatment. That means that 56.8% of people are getting no help. They're just suffering through it. They're just struggling through it. They're just dealing. Maybe it was a traumatic episode that they had in their life that is continually causing that feeling that everything is caving in inside and you're panicking and you're sick to your stomach and you don't know what to do. You may have come to church this morning and that's how you are now. That's how you feel right now. Notice it says women are twice as likely to be affected as men. Men, husbands, it says what the value is in us taking the time to have quality conversation and listen to our wives. Oh, it'll be okay. Stop that. For her, it's not. We may be men and we just watch Chuck Norris movie and have barbecue, whatever. Get beyond the masculinity, the manliness that the world has created on that and take the time to be sensitive in this type of situation because those are the conversations that are going to further bond your marriage deeper and deeper in the Lord. Take the time to listen. If women are struggling with it twice as much, take the time. Notice it often co-occurs with major, not minor, not just a little bit, not seasonal, not let me go get the vitamin D off Walmart and I'll be okay. Major depression, a sense of hopelessness, a fearfulness, a worthlessness. Oh, why even bother? Why does it matter anymore? It all sets in. How about the next one? Panic disorder. This affects 6 million adults or 2.7 of the U.S. population. Again, women are twice as likely to be affected as men. Quality conversations, listening. How do you help? Be involved. Be there for your ladies. Next one. Social anxiety disorder. 15 million people or 6.8. Notice that it's more than the previous two combined. It's equally common among men as women and typically begins around the age of 13. Good grief, if we thought 18 had stuff happening, what happens at 13? Good grief, right? And that's when it sets in and that's when withdrawal begins to take place. According to a 2007 survey, 36% of people with social anxiety disorder report experiencing symptoms for 10 or more years before seeking help. Can you imagine? Maybe this is you having complete fearfulness. Maybe some of it feels logical and maybe some of it's not logical. We're not here to sit here and disqualify somebody or the perspective that they have on that. That's not where we're at. What bothers me is that if any of these people are believers in Christ, why couldn't they tell their brothers and sisters? Why couldn't they rally the saints around them in order to build them up and lift them up? Maybe they feel shame. It's an abnormality. Here's a good one that the enemy likes, but well, you're probably the only person who struggles with this. Nobody else does. Just you. There's just something wrong with you, and it's always the accusatory finger. Remember, he's the accuser of believers. He's also the father of lies. Life is hard. Life is a struggle. Life is difficult. And when it comes down to it, when we actually talk about what is it to apply what God has said to our lives, there are some of us who are daring enough to stay on the road. And there are some of us who say, you know what? I think I'm just going to pull the car off right here and sit. I don't want to go any further. My goal today is that the Scripture would take a difference-making process in our lives in order to push us where we're no longer pulling over, but able to move forward in a, in a confident manner. Now, look at verse 6. What do the first four words say? Be anxious. Ah, state of being. State of mind. For what? Nothing. Now, on your little paper right here, we might want to write down the word nothing. And right next to the word nothing, 
I want you to write in all the things that it's okay for us to be anxious about. Are you sure? What does the Bible say? Be anxious for what? Okay, so probably what goes here is a zero with a slash through it. What goes here is a nada. Anybody got a Spanish translation? No way, Jose. Got a German translation? It's nine, right? You say, but I am anxious. Well, hold on. Where I am and what the scriptures tell me, there's a separation, yes? And so that's where the predicament comes. How do I, as someone who believes the Lord, loves the Lord, is desirous to not be anxious? I mean, nobody sits around like, man, I just cannot wait for the next thing to come along. I can freak out about it. Anybody looking forward to the next variant? Anybody see the fear-mongering going on? I'm not anxious about the fact that I think Anthony Fauci needs to be in jail. I don't care if you like that or not. It's the truth. I'm not trying to be mean, but I mean, good grief. Entire, entire families are cowering in their homes. People are scared to death telling me they still don't want to come to church. And it's generating anxiety. Why? Because when you generate fearfulness in people, they comply. When you generate fearfulness in people, they lay down. Because all they want is relief. And it doesn't bring any kind of surprise in the Scriptures. It says, when they say, peace and safety, peace and safety. And you find out there is none. What are you saying, Jim? Could be the winter of death. What in the world is going on? And we wonder why there's all of this. I don't even know if I want to function anymore in some people. I mean, if we have to be honest, sitting alone with our thoughts, sometimes we sit and look at this and we go, Lord. I, I, I get at the end, while John is exiled in Patmos, and he's hammering out license plate or whatever he's doing out there. He's in bondage for his faith out there. They had to get rid of him because he talked too much. And at the end, he says, even so, come Lord Jesus. It tells me that there's a common ground there, that he's, he's experiencing something that we all sit here and we experience. We're like, good grief, why does it create in us such a fearfulness, a panic? Be anxious for nothing. The first question I have to ask myself, that we have to ask ourselves is, can I trust what God has said? Rory, you did a fantastic job last week. Thank you. Yeah. It was good. Uh, it wasn't that good, okay? <laughs> I'm just messing with you. No, it was good. It was really good. I even, I even, after I listened to it, I texted him and told him. He did a great job. But the first thing we really have to ask myself is, am I really trusting God's word? Now, here's why this is important. Because a lot of times we come to trust with what is commonly known as a Greek mentality. Okay, we may not know this, but that's exactly what it is. Everybody remember whenever Paul goes to Athens He's hearing all of these different philosophies. He's on Mars Hill, and all these worship different gods and this kind of stuff. He's, you know, and I see you guys. So I had an altar to an unknown god. You, you're always about listening to something brand new to help you out. And a lot of times it was about what I know, what I know. I know this, I know this. I'm bringing all these new ideas to the table. And a lot of times we subscribe to the Word of God in a Greek mentality. Well, I know that verse. A Jewish mentality was never like that. In fact, a Jewish mentality would never put weight upon the word K-N-O-W until it was something that they were actively embracing or practicing in their lives, or that was causing them to make a shift in the answers that they gave for daily problems. It was an experiential embracing, I've got to be different because of what I now understand about this situation. I mean, let's be honest. Somebody bursts in and says fire, all of a sudden the stove in there explodes. Because of that reality of what we now know, we all run, right? That's an extreme situation, but it's not any different with the truthfulness of God's Word. When anxiety hits, this verse needs to be on the forefront. Wait a second, I'm not to be anxious for anything. And the Lord knows all of this situation. What I haven't even 
treaded into yet, and I'm not even there. So whatever anxiety I'm feeling has got to be submitted to him because he has told me by his word that I'm not to be anxious about this. The question is, is how do I get unanxious? How do I take off the coat of anxiousness and put on something different to where I am at calm, to where there's tranquility? Well, look, notice that this prescription, here's the problem, be anxious for nothing, not one thing. There's the problem. What is the prescription for that? Look what it says, but in everything. What's everything? Everything. Every situation, every conversation. Every familial interaction, every time you're going to pick up the phone to make a phone call to somebody, every time you're getting ready to walk in Walmart, I might resonate with this a little bit more in some things, but it doesn't matter where you find yourself in life, every situation is a situation that needs to be addressed with, look what it says, but everything by prayer, everything by, making sure you're listening, let's try it one more time, everything by by prayer. How's this going to get done? By prayer. How's this going to work out? By prayer. How am I going to get the most out of today's lesson? By prayer. How is this thing going to be cleared up? By prayer. How am I going to deal with this job situation that I've just fallen into? By prayer. What he's saying is anxiety will want to be first. Supplant that and replace it with prayer. Call on Christ to get involved. Now notice, prayer, it's a general word used for prayer, coming to the Lord, conversing with Him. But let's be honest, is prayer really about God? If you could just change who you are and get involved in this situation so you can meet me where I'm at, so I'd be more comfortable about what I'm doing here? Is that what prayer is? No, because God doesn't change. Prayer really is more about us submitting ourselves to what He desires. Going in a direction that He points. You know, Mitch shared with me an interesting analogy this morning. He goes, you know, so often I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the will of God go by like a river. And there comes a point when God's like, man, you got to jump in. You sit over here and piddle on the shore all day that you want. You might find some cool things to look at. Get in and go and understand that it is his way and that he is God overall. Even the sparrows he cares for, yeah? What does it tell us? How much more does he care for you? How much more? I would say much more right? Notice, in everything by prayer and supplication. What are supplications? Specific requests that are laid down to God. Specific requests. I am specifically bringing this to you, Lord, because I'm struggling through this. I got this prayer request about this pastor here, Pastor Nall. I need to specifically bring that. I am petitioning that. You know what this kind of entails? Uh, our, our, our ladies are usually like, ooh, I get to go buy a new notebook. And the guy's like, I don't want to carry this thing around. You need a prayer journal. We need a book to open up in order to list out the supplications that we are constantly bringing to the Lord. Why? So that when they're answered, you can date them and see the track record of the faithfulness of God and how he worked over time. Now let's not make the mistake for a second of thinking, well, does God really want to answer prayers? Doesn't he invite you to come? Didn't when Jesus died, he opened up the way to God fully? The curtain was torn in two. Why? Because he wants you in his presence all the time. How do we come into his presence in an intimate way? Prayer. Supplication. Making requests of him. Now, does everybody see the little condition that's added on here? Everybody see it? What's it say? Prayer and supplication with... Oh, we just celebrated that, didn't we? Is that what it is? Come in with a turkey leg in your mouth? God? No. Why do you think Paul says that? Why do you think that Thanksgiving is in this passage? To anticipate a grateful heart 
Doesn't thanksgiving and approaching the Lord say more about the attitude in which we approach him? One of the things we're teaching Nathaniel right now is manners. Anybody ever try to teach a kid manners? For real. Mama, one more cereal. Please. Got to restructure that sentence, son. Right? Notice it's not about kicking in the door, laying down the demands. Notice it's not, not, well, you're God and I'm your child and that's just what you should do. So get on it. In fact, any element of pride that would creep in in this type of conversation is to be laid low. Completely. So now comes a question. We'll probably get out our pieces of paper. I need to make a little a, a little header there. Thanksgiving. Because now there needs to be a list. You know? There needs to be a list going on here. If here are the things that I'm thankful for from the Lord. Now, let's put some feet on this. What are some things that you are thankful for? You came to the Lord and you say, Lord, thank you for this. What? Salvation? Praise God, we're not going to hell. That's a pretty big deal. Praise God that the lake of fire is not in our destination point. That's great. What else? Your wife? I'm thankful for your wife too. Your husband? Spouses? Man, they're a godsend, aren't they? Good grief. God doesn't call it a one flesh relationship for nothing. There's something so special about that that nobody can even put that in words. Thank you, God. What else? What's that? The church body. The body of Christ. The body of Christ is which I can come to and request someone to intercede with me at any given moment of which we will now hold hands and do that, right? That type of attitude, that type of culture, if I can use that word, that's supposed to go on threaded throughout our being. That's just what we do, praying for one another. What else? Children. Children are a blessing. Children are a blessing from the Lord. No, no, no. That's exactly what the Bible says. Thankful for the word of God. Boy, the Word of God is smart. Anybody ever notice that? I sure to shed a lot, a lot of light on my dumbness. It's really good at that. Thank you, God, that you've spoken. What else? The indwelling Spirit. When God redeemed us, He gave us of Himself to indwell us and change us from the inside out. That's miraculous. Because what that says is that we're all capable of doing God things now of which we had no capability before. It's just all about him doing it through us. These are all things to be thankful. Now, here's the thing. You can continue this list, and when you come to him, Lord, thank you for giving me your word. Lord, thank you for the indwelling Holy Spirit and recognizing how grace has been heaped in massive quantities upon our person. How about this? Thank you, God, that Jesus Christ has paved the way by his blood to where I can come before you seeking grace and finding mercy at your throne always. How do I know that? The Word of God has told me that. And that's where it brings us to this one point. Do we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture? Not just that it's inerrant. Not just that, well, God's telling me the truth all the time. Do we believe that when He speaks, it actually is a solution, a remedy, or a direction that meets me where I am? Or is it just divine suggestion? I thought this quote was interesting. PJ, if we could go to this quote. This is a guy named Roland McCoon. He teaches over at Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary, or Bible Theological Seminary. The Bible is a finished and complete revelation, entirely sufficient for its divinely intended purpose. It need not be supplemented by reason, experience, tradition, other religions, or anything else. It does not wait to be sufficient until it encounters the individual, nor does it cease to be sufficient when rejected or ignored by the same. 
In other words, the Word of God, because it's true, by its very nature, it always speaks sufficiently, and it always speaks authoritatively, knowing all things about whatever it is we're dealing with, either in detail or in principle. You will not lack a solution from the Word of God. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is, is there dissonance between those points? Do I allow for my anxiety to take me down and render me out of commission for a period of time? Or do I call a spiritual timeout, back up the train, and think for a moment about what Scripture is actually telling me and what I believe about what has come out of God's mouth and put on paper? All Scripture is God-breathed. Do I believe that it's sufficient to meet me? Well, instead of worrying, instead of freaking out, instead of having anxiety, instead of being anxious, I should be grateful, thankful, confident. That's not what we talked about, but a good, a good one. What does the Scripture say? But in all things what? Prayer? Supplication? Thanksgiving. Does everybody see that? Now, now watch this, okay? I don't want to point this out because I'm not trying to make light of anybody. But notice how we've just walked through this, and a lot of us know this verse pretty well. And notice that we still missed it when I asked the question. Maybe I'm a bad question asker. That's been known to happen. You ask Beth, she tells you, yeah. Right? But think about it. In the situations when we find ourselves anxious, we have to ask the question. What is God's prescription for my problem? God's prescription is prayer. Requests being brought to Him. Done so in an attitude of thankfulness. Okay? Now watch what happens here. It says here, let your requests be made known to God. Freely bring them. Don't let anything stop you. If you're coming in that way, come. He's inviting you to his throne. He's inviting you to sit in his lap. Romans 8, we call him Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. Man, that's a good picture. Get up there in his lap and say it. Look what he says here in verse 7. Here's the promise. And the peace of God. Stop. The peace of God. When you become a believer in Christ, you are no longer at enmity with him. You now have peace with God. But there's a big difference between having peace with God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and having the peace of God resting upon you. Does everybody see that in verse 6, anxiety, being anxious, and in verse 7, peace, does everybody see that they are the antithesis of one another? Anxiety is not peace. That is me existing in a not peace situation. So, look what it says. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension all reason, all understanding, all logic, all, well, this is what God did here, and here's how I made it work, and this is how it worked out here, and then this came in place, and then this person came along. It's saying that you can't formulate that. You can't blueprint that. You can't document that. He is promising that if we approach him his way, that if we instead of, and notice, notice the idea of being anxious, we're replacing it with prayer, with supplication, with thanksgiving. We do that, and what should we anticipate as the body? peace. In fact, it's a peace that your mind isn't going to be understand. It's going to be a rest that comes about divinely. Sometimes as Christians, thank the Lord we're not Baptists because they're scared to death of the Holy Spirit, but sometimes as Christians we are scared of supernatural things. We're scared of a supernatural God who's spoken through a supernatural word that wants to do supernatural stuff in our lives. And I don't know about you, but in the midst of today's society, if we need anything, it's a supernatural peace. God tells us how to get it. Anxiety is going to happen. It's going to come. Maybe you don't struggle with it. Maybe it's a little bit. But for those of you, especially the deeply struggle, please listen to God's prescription. Prayer, supplication, attitude of thanksgiving. And then we anticipate the peace that passes all 
understanding, comprehension. Notice, it will guard your heart and your mind. Now this is incredibly interesting because oftentimes in Scripture, what they call the heart is the mind. What in the world is he getting at? Number one, everybody see the word guard? It's the idea of setting up a garrison. You ever thought that maybe your heart and mind need a garrison around it? You do, why? Because an enemy is attacking. Pause for a second. If by taking up his prescription and actually utilizing it in our lives brings about this peace and that peace sets up a garrison, what does it tell you that we're actually being protected from when that anxiety comes about? Darkness, it's got a name. Spiritual warfare, Satan. One of the greatest things we've got to understand as a church is the devil hates our guts. Period. And here's where he attacks, right here. How do we know that? Because he's getting you thinking a lot of things and you're going, why am I thinking this? I don't want to think this. You ever done that? I do that about 40 million times a day, right? My mind sometimes feels like somebody's flipping one of those old TV. You remember? Right? That's what it feels like up here sometimes. Because spiritual warfare is real. And if God is going to set up a garrison around my heart and mind, it's because he is going to stop the attack. Now pause for a second, put scripture together. That tells you that a lot of times when we feel anxiety in a situation, it's actually a spiritual attack. It's a spiritual attack. And I'm going to say this, and it's going to freak some of you out. It might bother you. It's not a chemical imbalance. Understand this. You want a really good book to read, The Chemical Balance Delusion by Daniel Berger. It's very small, 100, 100 pages. But we've been sold on this idea that we all have chemical imbalances in the brain, and we've got to sort ourselves out. Nobody can measure for that. Nobody can test for that. The chemicals in the brain are always changing. You go to your doctor next time and say, hey, while I'm here, doc, getting a checkup, can I get a chemical can I get a chemical imbalance check on my brain? They'll look at you like you're a fool. Because there's no way to test that. And they don't know. And it's something that's been created. And it's garbage. So don't buy into that. It's spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare gets its furthest in the unsuspecting. The reason why we're having this conversation today is so that we are not ignorant of his schemes. He desires to create this fearfulness in us. So we handle this problem God's way. He gives this peace. Number one, it covers our hearts. Number two, it covers our minds. In other words, it's not just about the deep-seated convictions we have. It's about the thought process. That's what mind is, noema. It's the thought processes that go on in our daily living. That our thoughts actually get covered by Him. Now here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want to give you a little bit of homework. Of course, you can choose to do it or not. But everybody see verse 8? Well, real quick, the end of verse 7. Notice that it's in Christ Jesus is where these things take place. Notice that it's pretty much like in the midst of prayer, there's a renewal of the mind that takes place. It's a committing in on it. Notice in verse 8, he gives you some things. Look at what it says. Finally, brethren, whatever's true. Maybe on the back of your page, you write down on the left-hand side, true. Give yourself a line or so. Whatever's honorable, write that down. Whatever's right. Write that down. Pure, whatever is lovely. If there's anything of good repute, if there's anything you know of that has the reputation of just goodness, maybe you know some people like that. Maybe even people come to your mind you want to put on here. It says here, if there is any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, when you sing, when Emily leads us in worship, what are you praising God about? What are you praising Him for? I tell you, if it's just I'm reading words on the screen and there's not much else going on, that's kind of stale. Is God happy with that? I don't know. I think it's got a lot more to do with the heart than it does the mouth. Think about it. Is there anything worthy of praise? Why am I worshiping God today? Why did I come here with brothers and sisters in order to praise His holy name? Write that down. Why? Why do we praise Him? Look what He says here. Dwell on these things. You know what that means? Meditate. But this Greek word doesn't just mean meditate. It means make it a habitual practice always. It is something that should be constantly taking place. If these are the things that are going on. 
Does everybody see what Paul is directing as far as our mindset is concerned? We take the prescription of prayer, supplication, or thanksgiving. We receive the promise of peace. And it's going to guard our hearts and minds. We can bank on that because it's the Word of God. But what happens here is he says, if you want to know how to get persistent protection in this, then these are the things that your mind needs to be consumed with. Because then it brings you to the question, how did that anxiety get there in the first place? How did it happen? Chances are my mind was dwelling on some things that were false. And my mind was dwelling on some things that were ugly. And my mind was dwelling on some things that don't praise the Lord at all. In fact, you could take every one of these things that's listed here, put an opposite and ask the question, was that what was consuming my mind, my time? Is that what was around me that I was drawing in? I love talking to Christians that are like, man, I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus, but I love horror movies. What's wrong with you? That didn't help nobody. Anybody's mind better for that? No. It's, a, it's incomplete. Mess with this. And we wonder why God isn't operating vibrantly in those types of lives and why there is no rejoicing and there is no joy. Guys, understand we have an infinitely powerful God who lines out very clearly for us. Here is how you handle life. Now, will you do it? Well, I know that, but will you do it? Well, I know where that verse is. Yeah, Philippians 4. Yeah, 6, 8, somewhere in there, right? But will you do it? And if you need prayer, will you ask for it? And will you pray for it? Don't ask somebody else to pray for you if you're not willing to pray for yourself. God wants to hear from you too. Will you? Will you? Now, here's something totally weird that we're going to do, okay? Completely weird. In fact, they don't even know this, but I'm going to call them on the spot. Chuck, will you do me a favor? Will you go to the back, please? Please. Yep, Chuck just now found out. And it was good because he just woke up. That's good. <laughs> Kevin, would you do me a favor? Would you head to the back, please? Jerry, would you do me a favor? Would you head to the back, please? I'm going to head to the back, okay? And here's what I'm going to ask. We are going to have a time of prayer to close this out. Emily's going to come up and lead us some worship. But one thing that I would ask of you is if today is a day that you are struggling with anxiety and that you just don't feel like you can get past it and there's just a hopelessness that's going on. I can't think of anything more important than to take the time to sit down and to pray with some people. Pray with some people. Maybe you don't feel comfortable praying with some of our guys. Any ladies want to volunteer to go in the back and pray with people if they want to pray? Faith, please. Amy, please. Absolutely. Jeff. Oh, no. You had your hand up, so. Please. And this doesn't have to be anything where we're trying to make light. We're not trying to embarrass anybody. Life is real. Life has got real struggles. Nobody has all the answers except God's Word. So let's take the time to actually seek Him, actually pray, actually put these before that, and then anticipate. Because we're coming to you in the right way and doing what you've asked, Lord, we trust you to bring about that peace that needs to garrison our entire being. Sound good? Let's pray, please. Father, I thank you for the mercy that you give in your word, pointing us in prayer, leading us in prayer, desiring for us to come to you, inviting us, Letting us know that when life hits, when we're in a panic, when we're struggling greatly, God, how important it is that we come to You. That we just come to You in conversation, come to You laying down the burdens, the things that we're dealing with, and that we do so rightly. Father, check our hearts, please. Check our minds. Maybe it's today we need to recognize that the things that we're surrounding ourselves are not things that are true or honorable or right or pure or lovely 
or of a good reputation or excellent or worthy of praise. And that needs to be corrected. Father, there's everything that says in the word of God about how much you care about our thinking, our minds, because you understand, you know, you design them, that we will make choices based off of what we truly believe. And so, Father, if we have a pocket of unbelief, an area where we're just not trusting you, not giving it up to you, today is a day that you would reveal that in our hearts, please. We pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal that to us. We pray that we would so embrace your word, that we would be inseparable from this principle so that we could live extraordinary lives that aren't perfect, that are still going to go through hardship, that trying times are waiting. We just know that's the part of the world. But Lord, you are the solution and everything has been answered in the nature of your son. So we praise you for that. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.